Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Weight of Freight, where we explore the intricate uh, yet powerful connections between the freight and commodities markets. Uh, my name is Alex Yunovich, and I'm the Global Head of Freight at Argus Media. And just a quick reminder that subscribers of Argus Freight can use the limited edition link on the podcast page to download uh, exclusive content related to the topics that we'll discuss right here. And today we'll be covering the thorny path of shipping going green, uh, focusing on the tanker market. And we'll do it in the context of the current market fundamentals and geopolitical environment, of course. And I'm very pleased to welcome a special guest, Andrea Olivier, who is the global head of wet freight and oil chartering at Trafigura. Andrea, it's a pleasure to have you here. Hi, thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me. Well, uh, let's dive right in then, shall we? I guess, uh, you know, it won't be a shocking statement to say that we live in interesting times. And I think you and I talked about it before, that it would be nice to just, you know, be bored just even for a little while. Uh, but alas, there is a military conflict in Europe uh, than what many call a global energy crisis and possibly a looming recession. So my first question to you, with all of that happening, do you feel like the whole decarbonization discussion and shipping has lost its importance, at least in the minds of the market players? <laughs> Thank you. This is a, this is a, a very good question. Um, a lot of people think that decarbonization is losing momentum um, due to current geopolitical events. But actually, I had the pleasure to participate at the Global Maritime Forum in uh, New York <clears throat> last week. And to be fair, I found a group of industry players that want to bring the agenda forward and are determined to decarbonize from today. Um, I was positively surprised by the fact that there is also a, a clear focus on developing short-term measures that once again can work from today. Mm -hmm. It is believed that there is some 25% optimization that could be achieved in global shipping uh, by short-term measures. This is a big number, but we can achieve it by improving our data, sharing it, and um, also changing some of the architecture of our shipping contracts and work towards uh, splitting incentives across the various players. Uh, I also listened to the Deputy Director for Climate and Environment at the White House, Jane Lubchenko, mm -hmm. announcing that uh, Presidential Climate Envoy John Kerry's Green Shipping Challenge will be one of the U.S. government's key initiatives at COP27 conference in November. So I think this is a pretty strong signal. Okay. Okay. So uh, before we maybe dive more into the details of how uh, the green transition uh, could uh, realistically happen, let's maybe talk about the impact on, uh, of uh, carbon on freight, uh, because that's uh, an important factor to consider when we talk about its importance. So I'm just looking at our um, August carbon cost of freight indexes or CCF for WTI coming to Europe right now. And its peak in the last three months has been just around maybe $0.4 per barrel for that particular crude grade. And now it's around maybe 0 0.25. And this is in the environment where WTI freight to Europe is over $5 per barrel. And the price for WTI itself is around $85 per barrel. So one could argue that it's a relatively small cost. So why do you think should people in the oil market care about it, apart from, obviously, environmental concerns? Well, so the, the, the irony in all of this is that I think it's fair to say that 
so far decarbonization and, and carbon prices have had very little impact to spot freight rates. Uh, we we are yet to see market participants willing to pay a premium for vessels with a lower carbon uh, footprint in the spot market, but we should not be discouraged, right? From an asset point of view, there is an argument that decarbonization is affecting the decision making of many industry players and pushing premiums for ecotonnage uh, higher. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we're seeing more and more traditional owners divesting from older assets and others investing in energy saving devices. Um, over the coming years, uh, we we will see new regulations that should help decarbonization have a, a much stronger effect on, on spot rates. But again, few will be uh, a game changer in the very immediate term. Um, first of all, we will have EEXI regulations kicking in from 1st January uh, 2023. Uh, EEXI is a design-based uh, measure that will enforce uh, um, a one-time certification of mm-hmm. practically all vessels in service. Now, in tankers, I think the effect will not be so pronounced as it will affect maximum speeds rather than operating speeds. And we know that the majority of the tanker industry is operating at uh, well below maximum speeds. Um, Then you have the CII scores, the carbon intensity scores that will require all vessels in service to essentially report their actual fuel consumption and thus greenhouse gas emissions on an annual basis. Um, The goal here is to ensure that all vessels uh, reduce their carbon footprint from one year to the next. Uh, The issue here, in my opinion, is that it is calculated using uh, AER, which is an annual efficiency ratio, which is a metric which ends up favoring long ballast legs, which, if you think about it, is counterintuitive. Uh, A much better metric uh, would be to use the so-called EEOI, um, which is also the metric used by Sea Cargo Charter. When talking to the majority of industry players, uh, the consensus seems to be that the CII framework is currently too complicated and it should be simplified by reducing exceptions and, and, and special cases. Um, okay. The other issue that Sorry, just on the CI, I, yeah, think, it's wor- if, I think it's worth maybe um, uh, ex- exp- explaining this a little, because when we're talking about the long ballast lag and why why it's a problem, basically the argument there is, as I understand, is that it encourages potentially uh, less eco-efficient vessels to go on longer distances, right? Correct. So, so that means that you end up emitting uh, more while uh, like if you do it on the short on the shorter voyage because this uh, this distance is a factor and you spend some time in port you might actually be charged more right and there's another huge issue right the other issue is that there are no enforcement rules nor penalties for non-compliant vessels until 2026 Mm-hmm. So, so, so I'm a bit skeptical that CII scores can have a meaningful short-term impact. Uh, another major point of discussion would be how to split incentives between owners and charters around backhauls and cargos that can help owners optimize their CII score. Uh, here, we hope to partner with as many owners as possible, taking on their tonnage to improve their efficiency scores by leveraging our almost seven and a half million barrels dollars a day of uh, of uh, physical trade flows. 
when you say uh, partnering up, so what's uh, what's what's the view here? It's like taking uh, their vessels on a longer time charter, putting them on COAs, and saying we we'll uh, like you know um, give more business to more eco efficient fleets. Or Correct, how- exactly. It's it's uh, it's uh, utilizing our cargo program to help owners reduce their CII score. Uh, okay, and how like does it mean that you will have to? Um, you know, new terms in the contracts, new clauses, particular for, like reflecting the CAI score or reflecting the consumption or emissions of the vessels. How would you uh, handle this trans- transactionally? And if that's the case, how would the rest of the market or do you think the rest of the market would want to follow? I think it? actually the, the, the clauses that you're referring to are currently being negotiated and discussed and th- there is no final close yet. So we are probably waiting for some guidance uh, on on mm. this one okay and what about the rest of the market because notoriously a lot of the um let's say opinions out there and i hear it from ship owners actually heard it from engine makers as well is that the challenge of the tanker market is that um those uh, it's it's a very different uh, market from something like containers for instance where the customers are, are quite uh, let's say first of all environmentally conscious and the uh, movers are actually quite close to the customer while the oil producers are quite removed from the end customer so there is uh, potentially less push from their customers and less incentive for them to really you know gone for decarbonization and really follow, let's say, uh, in the first steps in the first wave or trying to go green while you can get away with potentially cheaper costs. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that, the, the you know, in the tanker market, the oil market are ready to, you know, uh, stay, take steps forward in, in the decarbonization and follow, for instance, your example of uh, running with more efficient fleets? I think, look, I, I think uh, the, the, the market, I mean, certain there's a large number of participants that want want to do more. Um, but I think and, and, and now you kind of I, I want to introduce the, 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 the next measure that I was going to talk to you about, which is the mm-hmm. UETS scheme, which is the one I like the most. And okay. I think it's the one that will be the most meaningful and impactful. Uh, uh, which you know should come into force in either 2023, although we also hear anecdotal evidence that it could delay into uh, 2024. The mm-hmm. reason why uh, we like the EU uh, ETS scheme is because it finally puts um, a price on uh, carbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UETS scheme should add inflationary pressure on EU-bound uh, voyages and all other things being equal. We should also see eco-tonnage and vessels with lower carbon footprints to be favored by charters, operating vessels and voyages in, in, in the EU. Uh, again, as I said before, the reason we like this scheme is because it finally puts a price on, on carbon, which is what the industry needs to align environmental and financial interests. Uh, hopefully, the EU ETS scheme will prepare the way for the IMO to introduce a global carbon tax, perhaps already from 2027 onwards. We know that within the IMO, the momentum is building for uh, a global carbon tax. Um, one major point of discussion will be how the industry treats and settles EUA cost for spot voyages. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at current 
FFA index curves, they do not may, make a, a provision for EU ETS, and most industry players we speak to seem to agree that this cost will be treated as a separate CPI item uh, falling uh, outside Wolfscare rates, much like it happens today with additional war-risk uh, premiums. Right. So uh, this would be handled in the final invoice for the wage, pretty much. Correct. So yeah. if 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 we if we're talking about uh, the how the carbon should be included globally, uh, how is that going to be regulated? Right? How is that going to be enforced? Are we talking primarily here that the market has to regulate itself by uh, obviously again encourage, encouraging uh, going for uh, like working with with this with the specific ship owners or going for particular voyages and stuff like that and making sure that the uh, um, you know the uh, vessels which are there or, or like the ship owners which are there to try and go green first are positively compensated or are we talking about reliance on the um, regulation from the government and how if 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 the latter how is that going to be enforced or could be uh perfectly enforced or like better. i think uh, it's absolutely vital that regulators uh, uh play their role and 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 for me the 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 imo is is, is really the organization that should uh, should step up in this uh in this specific area or segment okay but um Realistically, is there, you think, especially considering how much you guys are, are looking into it, is there a potentially good framework for this, which could actually work? Because one of the main criticisms generally that people throw out there when it comes to either carbon uh, decarbonization measure is that it generally looks good on paper, but when it comes to practical enforcement of any of those rules, uh, usually there are particular caveats. So if we talk about global carbon tax, yeah, is there, you think, a good regulatory framework which could work as far as you're concerned, or uh, it will have to start with the market self-regulating itself? No, I think look, it's, it, it should be the it should be enforced by regulators. And again, here the IMO is is, is the one body that that has the ability to enforce it, much like it has enforced uh, uh, the transition from uh, uh, high sulfur to low sulfur fuels. Let, let's let's just talk then particular efforts of Trafigura in decarbonization. Obviously, you've been local uh, vocal supporters of decarbonization in the industry. So, what do you consider to be, you, you know, your most promising moves uh, or like general moves in the in the market that you think are gonna bring the shipping closer to the decarbonization, and how your own efforts are helping that? Okay, so. Uh, I guess it's fair to say we remain very active uh, uh, in this front. Uh, we try to focus on actions rather than words as much as possible. I think when it comes to decarbonization, it is often easy to fall into what I like to call the talk, the green talk. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, we have so far dedicated a lot of human and capital resources towards decarbonization. We're investing in specialized stuff, better software energy saving devices and new databases. Um, over the last quarters, we have been active in adding dual fuel methanol and dual fuel LPG vessels uh, to our fleet. 
this will help us uh, understand whether methanol and LPG have a role to play to support uh, shipping decarbonization in the short, uh, medium and, and um, long term. Um, amongst the energy saving devices available in the market, we have retrofitted some of these on our owned uh, vessels. Mm -hmm. uh, wake equalizing ducts, advanced uh, silicon-based hull coatings, as well as ultrasonic anti-fouling systems. Um, furthermore, we have invested into real-time CO2 monitoring devices and are um, currently evaluating several telemetry systems which should enable us to improve uh, performance monitoring on, uh, on our vessels. I, I strongly believe in the uh, let's say, data revolution that is about to uh, hit uh, shipping. Uh, really? we, must work toward, we must work towards having a more real-time, um, accurate and transparent data from vessels to be able to take better decisions. Without proper data, I, I don't feel confident we will, uh, we will succeed. Um, this year, we have also been able to reduce our CO2 footprint by about 9%, mm -hmm. thanks to uh, operational and technical efficiencies, ranging from speed adjustment, uh, weather uh, routing optimization, propeller polishing, and underwater cleaning, and, and so on. Uh, personally, I think there is more that we may be able to achieve if we had better data from our vessels. Uh, incredibly enough, there is still a large part of owners who have, who have sensors on board of their vessels, but are not willing to share data with us. Hopefully, that can change in the future, and I'm fairly confident uh, it will. Um, one example I always like to give is uh, what happened to what happened. Sorry, on one of our long-term DLCC uh, charters where uh, one of our close owners called us just prior to the vessel uh, dry docking. Uh, and asked whether we had an interest in retrofitting a, an energy saving device on the vessel and split the costs and benefits from the device 50 50. Uh, that is just a you know, beautiful example uh, mm -hmm. of how things should work. The owner went ahead with the investment, which improved the speed and consumption, and we agreed to increase uh, TC higher accordingly. Uh, decarbonization should be about splitting costs and, incentive, and incentives between parties. We cannot expect only one party to bear uh, all the costs. And this is why uh, we're often happy to share our decarbonization strategy so uh, openly, uh, despite the amount of investment that we've made and despite the risk of perhaps losing uh, what we could describe as a first mover uh, advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to be pioneers in decarbonization, and we've made it very clear that we intend to pursue decarbonization as both an ethical and environmental cause, uh, but also as a competitive advantage. Um, ultimately, if we were to ignore decarbonization, we would be making uh, pretty much the same mistake Blockbuster made when they ignored uh, the live streaming industry. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, a quick question on the um, dual fuel engines, since since you mentioned it, because we've heard it both from, again, engine makers and some ship owners as well, and general uh, you know, opinions in the market, that while there is um, you know, quite a few uh, people going for dual fueled engines, a lot of the time, even when they do have uh, those engines installed, 
first of all, they always go for the conventional fuel part anyway. And uh, as far as we've heard, some um, uh, who order, uh, again, either the new buildings or retrofits with the uh, dual fuel, have very little intention, at least for now, to try the uh, uncon unconventional earth, uh, like the green, the greener fuels in it. So a lot of that, as you uh, mentioned before, is a green talk. Yeah, in, for 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 some of the people at least. Uh, do you think that is gonna quickly change? Does the industry have to wait for the marine fuel prices for let's say greener fuels like methanol or again biofuels and so on to go closer to par with um, something like VLSFO? Well, I think we have to create the incentives for those owners who have, uh, have, have got the courage yeah, to, mm -hmm. to, to, to retrofit vessels or build vessels with dual fuel engine. Uh, to, we, we need to make it uh, possible for them to, to, to be able to uh, subsidize, let's say, those green fuel and make them as competitive as, uh, as, as fossil fuels. That is, that is key. And this is why I think we absolutely need um, a price on 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 carbon, an actual an actual real dollar exposure. In in other Co words, correct, absolutely. I think it's vital. Okay, fair enough. All right, l let's roll roll it back to the freight market for a second, uh, and uh, the tanker market in particular. We have uh, quite a curious uh, situation here, uh, where there is. You know, an obvious strength on uh, particular trades and vessel classes, it seems. For example, Aframaxes have been very strong and enjoyed quite a boost in torn miles in recent months, while some other vessel classes didn't, didn't fare so well. At the same time, we have, uh, you know, some volatility in TC rates, obviously, as you know, volatility in bunker fuels and all of those changes in um, in the flows of the crude around, around the world as, uh, you know, geopolit geopolitics develop. So I was wondering your take, uh, if we step back from carbon for a sec, uh, where is this, all of, all of this is going, what's your projection on where the crude freight is going to go, uh, let's say in the next quarter, next half a year? Uh, well, yes, I mean, <laughs> Uh, the, the the outlook uh, at the moment is uh, hugely dominated by the impact of the Russian Ukraine uh, conflict, uh, uh, the EU uh, import ban and potential price cap will both dictate a large part of uh, global tanker flows and more likely than not towards hugely uh, inefficient routes, which will dramatically incre increase uh, net tanker demand. Uh, mm -hmm. The supply demand outlook is obviously very favorable, favorable uh, since these new developments and have brought forward what we have long considered to be very positive fundamentals um, by a couple of years, uh, likely bridging the gap until 2023, uh, well, end 2023, where stronger fundamentals come into play regardless of new trade flows. Um, uh, we remain constructive on the market, but we are well aware of the growing uh, downside risks uh, at the moment. As freight rates keep rising almost uh, uh, every, day, every day, it becomes more and more vertiginous to look down at the potential floor uh, if current freight dynamics uh, were to reverse. It's a long way down from the current seventy-five or $80,000 a day mm -hmm. uh, on a VLCC down to the $0,000 a day we had uh, just a few months ago. Yeah, uh, you can see this quite clearly, by the way, in the FFA market, where many curves are heavily backwards over 2023. 
uh, as we aren't seeing the, the, the kind of uh, optimism necessary for speculative players to see curves in contango, despite an arguably favorable supply and uh, SND. Uh, sorry. Um, as a result, taking on new physical exposure is extremely costly and risky right now. And with we have been known to be takers of large amount of tonnage in the past, we will be a lot more selective in our deals uh, uh, in the coming uh, months. Uh, we will keep working uh, with our closest owners whom we have supported in providing uh, fixed uh, cover uh, during the hard, uh, let's say, post-COVID times, and who now support us in turn with managing our huge uh, internal program for our physical traders. Mm-hmm. In a rising interest rates environment, working with first-class counterparties is uh, absolutely key. Uh, okay. uh, talking from a more long-term point of view than the tanker order book is 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 smiling uh, at owners today, let's say, mm-hmm. because it's very small. But we also hear anecdotal evidence of yards becoming increasingly focused and keen on booking tanker orders, uh, as well as potentially converting container slots into tankers. Uh, it is no secret uh, that new building prices have started to correct downwards and 2025 could be a year of big tanker deliveries. Mm-hmm. And another factor to bear in mind when making uh, long-term uh, decisions. Okay, and in terms, uh, if if we just go back to short term for for a second, do I get the feeling that you know there is a growing, uh, let's say, concern in the market? Then, from your words and from what you hear, is that uh, the foundations on which the current strength in some of the tanker markets is quite, let's say, shaky, shaking, or maybe a, a little inflated? Yeah, and that potentially by uh, let's say in the by the by the end of this year there might be uh, quite a correct correction downwards. Is that? Uh, I I I mean I I think it's it's I think there is always that risk. I think the market uh, at the moment is uh, inflated by what is happening around the Russian Ukraine conflict. Uh, so, so we we really need to understand what will happen there before uh, before we really answer, let's say, your question. Uh, one thing is for sure is that, that the global tanker industry right now is uh, is uh, is really being shocked by by a shift, let's say, to a bipolar world, let's say, as the EU, EU UK, and US impose stricter sanctions on Russia. A growing portion of the global oil trade is being pushed into a parallel, yeah, less regulated segment uh, of the tanker industry. When it was just Venezuela and Iran, we could call it a shadow trade, as it represented mm-hmm. just a few percentage of global trade. But now, if you include Russia uh, outside of EU, UK, US insurance and financing scheme, we'll see more than 10 million barrels a day. Uh, of glo- uh, global crude products trade being entirely managed by, uh, let's say, shadow or shadowy vessels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a full-blown parallel tanker industry, um, uh, which, to, to be honest, it's 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 not far from the size of the global industry back in the 80s. Yeah, uh, and it, it but will lacking, distort, right? But, the, uh, yeah. It will distort the general market, wouldn't it? Co- if you have- correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other issue is all that, that, that this we're lacking the regulations that that it's sorry, this industry, it's lacking the regulations that make uh, modern shipping so much safer than it was in the past. Uh, 
and I guess, and I guess it's interesting in the in those times uh, where you have a stronger freight market in general, and then potentially soon a distorted uh, freight market when there is a lot of uh, shadow trade, as as we called it, that people also have to look into their carbon cost exposure. So I guess the argument, which you know, getting more often repeated now, is that if you can get at least this. A part to be transparent, the car, the carbon cost when you look forward, it's uh, is going to help is going to help you in this uh, particular let's say shady times when uh, certain things are uncertain when it comes to your freight cost exposure. Do you, you agree with that that it's a valid argument right now? Yeah, I think it's a valid argument. I think carbon prices will become increasingly more important for for freight. Uh, we will see this uh, the moment the EU ATS scheme will, will kick in and, and then it will become absolutely vital when when hopefully we will have a, um, a global tax on, on, on carbon in uh, 2027, 2030. We, we will see um, when that happens. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. I think we're out of time here, but it's a pleasure as always to get your expert views on things. Thank you very much. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you would like to get access to some amazing combo of freight data analytics for crude, please refer to Argus Tanker Freight Service, and we shall leave the link in the description. Otherwise, have a great day and see you next time.